place and we thank you that you have no rival there's there's no equal to you that we can cling to you that we can run to you and god we praise you and we're just in awe here and so everybody said i love to read out of first peter one He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice Though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so when I read that, I hear three things that we have the opportunity in hardships to praise and give glory and honor to Jesus when he's revealed. And that faith in Jesus produces salvation And so simply that he's our living hope. How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. Desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadow of my soul. The work is finished. And is written, Jesus Christ, my living Lord. Who could imagine 
such boundless grace The God of ages Stepped down from glory To wear my sin And bear my shame The cross has spoken I am forgiven The King of kings calls me Jesus Christ, my living Lord. Hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living set me free hallelujah death has lost its grip on me you have broken every chain there's salvation in your name Jesus Christ my living hope then came the morning that sealed the promise The silence, the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe out of the silence. salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Christ, my living hope, Jesus Christ, my living hope, God you are my living hope, Amen. 
gather in your presence and to sing songs uh, to you. You are a living hope. God, you set us free through your son, Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ alone is where we claim our hope. We find purpose. We find life. We find a reason to keep moving. We find a reason through the, the hardships, through the, the crazy cycles of life to, to keep just looking at each day as a new opportunity, even when some of us are finding ourselves in the deepest, darkest valleys, or some of us are riding the mountaintops of life, but we can't find purpose. We claim it in you. And so, God, I just thank you so much for the truth of your word and just thinking about, uh, God, what uh, Paul says in, in, in Romans. He says, therefore, we have been justified through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured his love out on our hearts with the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. God, that's our hope. It's in you. Nothing else. No one, no thing, no human achievement, no education, no relationship, no bank account, nothing can produce the hope that we find in Jesus Christ. And we thank you that you are alive and well, that you reign, that you are our king, and we just find rest in that. We just proclaim that truth, that you, Jesus Christ, are our living hope. No grave has a hold on us. And God, we pray this morning as we move on that you would just speak to us, that we would find rest in you. We just love you, Jesus, in your name. Hey guys, as we head into 2019, I just want to do something just a little bit different. And for some of you, uh, maybe this this year is just the next, just another year for you. But my my encouragement to you is that Jesus is alive and well, and He reigns and He is King. Amen. It's something we can get excited about, and, and this living hope that's in Jesus Christ is something that we need to proclaim on a daily basis. And so, I just want to have us sing that chorus just one more time, and then we'll move on the rest of the service. Since grip on me, you have broken every chain. There's salvation. Make sure you say hello's around you and you guys can have a seat.
So uh, as a, the first Sunday of the year, I want to say Happy New Year. Welcome to 2019. You made it. It's a good year, and we're uh, just excited about what God's doing. Ken's going to share something a little bit later. But guys, last night, we had this incredible opportunity. Uh, we have one of our own uh, Marines home, and, and he uh, shared a couple weeks ago that he wanted to get baptized. And he, and he wanted to do it on Saturday night, and so we baptized him. And I'm just telling you, the look on that boy's face. I mean, it was, um, as a pastor, those are the things that you live for, because those are things that have nothing to do with you. <laughs> In fact, most of, most of what we most of what we do has nothing to do with us. Has everything to do with God is on the move. And so, watching uh, Dan get baptized last night was a privilege and just such a humbling experience. But way to what a way to get into 2019 by baptizing people. Amen. Yeah, yeah. Come on. And so, uh, just lots of things happening. A couple things to highlight. If you pass the friendship folders, we appreciate that. Let us know you're here and. And if you're new with us, make sure to grab a card in front of you or put it on the friendship folder. Just mark that you're new or visiting. And, and we want to uh, just follow up with you uh, because we, we pray for you. We, we count it a privilege that you that you join us. And, and also, if you'd stop by the Welcome Center, they have something they want to give you for free. Just to say thanks for coming. So make sure you check that out as well. Um, this Wednesday night, all of our groups are starting up. Men's and Women's Bible Studies, those groups are going uh, this Wednesday. Student Ministry, Children's Ministry are happening on Wednesday night at 6.30 here and uh, we're just excited about what God's going to do this year and uh, already we're off to an amazing start brand new series starting today uh, Nehemiah it's never too late for a new beginning and so we are really excited about what God's going to do in this series and just uh, jumping into the Old Testament Nehemiah it's just going to be it's going to be good stuff but one thing I want to highlight too is if you are looking for a reading plan uh, and if you want it paper form it's in the lobby also there are Bibles please grab a Bible if you do not have a physical Bible please grab one, take one. Um, also, on our website, there's also some resources if you want to look those up later and when you're thinking about it. But uh, please let us know if there's any way that we can resource you um, in your reading or growing in your walk with Christ. Um, one thing, too, that I will share more information about next week, but the last Sunday of the month, we're going to be having another Next Steps meeting. So for anybody looking to take that next step for membership and interested in joining the church, uh, we're going to have that on the last Sunday of this month, right after the second service in the gym. And so we'll be putting more information out next week. But guys, we're excited about what God's going to do this year. Are we excited about what God's going to do this year in 2019? Can we get excited about that? Yeah. So one thing I want to say is that we uh, have been just completely privileged and honored to be on mission uh, with so many missionaries across the world, local, national, and just the birthday gift of Jesus. Again, this is my second year doing this, and it's amazing to see what God does. And so Pastor Ken's going to share more about that. We're just so thankful for all that God's been doing. We set out our goal for $83,000 for the birthday gift of Jesus. If you look inside of your bulletin, you'll see all the projects that... We asked you to pray about, to support, and as you know, last week we went over the goal, and today I want to share with you that we have gone way over the goal. Look at our update here, $130,000 has come in. Let's thank our great God. What an awesome God. God has just been so good to us, and so as you see that 130000 I want to encourage you, if you are wanting to give, please give today. Please give next week. Let's continue and just watch what God is going to do. Everything that has come in, we listed 83000 so everything that has come in over and above is going to all go to missions. None of it stays here, folks. It all goes out. We're going to take the missionaries, so if you saw... Here was a missionary who was getting five thousand, and now they're going to get six or seven thousand. They get two thousand, they're going to get three or four thousand. So we're just able to go across the board and just bless. 
So as you give, we turn around and give it right back out. We asked you to pray about making Jesus the number one on your gift list. And I want to thank you as a church because I believe you went to the Lord, you prayed, you asked, and the Lord has responded. I want to show you just a few of the faces here this morning that that we're supporting. This is Jay Stokes over in Indonesia, okay? Here he is working with the kids in Indonesia out in the tribal peoples. The next slide here we have also, this this is our missionary in Haiti. This is Alice and Kathy. Kathy is at the piano over there. Alice is up there standing. Kathy is the, uh, the aunt of Tracy Mulhorn in Haiti. They have worked with an orphanage. They have about 100 orphans that they work with, and they've been doing it for 40 years. Man, I just thank God that we get to encourage them and bless them. We're going to take a group there soon. We're, we're, we're trying to figure it out. There's a lot of political turmoil in Haiti, but we will get back there. Just want to thank God for that. This is a, some more of the tribal people in Indonesia that the Stokes are reaching. There's the Stokes. Can you imagine re- taking your family and living among the tribal people? That's what God's called him to do. We get to be on the end to encourage encourage him. How awesome is that? As we continue this morning, here is also, uh, these are some of the children in Haiti that the, that the orphanage, that our orphans are working, orphanage is working with. This is our team over in Ecuador. As you look at this picture here, you know, on, on our birthday gift to Jesus, it's either five or 6,000 you'll see goes to Daniel Gonzalez, Word of Life, Ecuador. Well, that's who it goes to. It goes right here to Daniel's team. These are the families. They come together. There's that. You can see uh, many of the families are together. They work and they supply and they meet the needs of the people there. And so what we do with that, Daniel says, please don't send it all at once. Can you send it a little bit every month? He doesn't want to spend it all. And I'm like, Daniel, that's awesome. God bless you. So so we, we, we help him. We do what, what he's asked us to do. But uh, Daniel and Anita is on the next picture here. Uh, we're just so thankful. We've, we've had about 50, 60 people from our church through the years make it down to visit them. We were just down there to, to, uh, to thank God and, and bless their camp. We opened up their camp, officially dedicated their camp to the Lord. Our church was a big, significant part of that. You were a big, significant part of that. Here's Scott and Jenny Phillips. Scott and Jenny Phillips. They were here this summer, and they talked about how that God has called them to reach the tribal people out in Indonesia. So we're just thanking God for all these missionaries. We have missionaries in Czechoslovakia, uh, the Vahelas. Uh, you, you look at, uh, here's James Lee Tika over here in Ecuador, uh, Ecuador, in the Philippines. James Lee Tika in the Philippines. Look at all the people that they're reaching. And, and, and the list goes on and on. There's the Stuarts over in Ireland. Uh, we have all these different missionaries in Haiti. We have multiple missionaries in Haiti. Haiti. And it's just amazing what God has done. And God has used you, Crossroads. He's used you, an individual. You've went to the Lord, you've prayed, and God has blessed you. And you said, I'll take a step of faith, and I'm going to give. So this morning, let's continue to give. And we're just going to continue to bless the nations. Bless the people who are out there serving God. And when I see that picture there, here he is. He's reaching this one of their camps or something. Look at all the people that they are reaching. I thank God for James Lee Tika. I thank God for the orphanage that we support out over in, over in um, the Philippines where Linda Finney grew up. And that, the lady from the orphanage keeps sending us messages on Facebook. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your support. We love Crossroads. And I just want to encourage you. In a few weeks, we're just going to have a big old celebration. We're just going to thank God for all that he's doing and what he has done. But I want to encourage you to continue to give. And I want to say thank you for being faithful in your giving. Uh, You know, Crossroads is a family. That's what we are. 
and families come together, we give together. And as we give, we, we look at the scriptural principle of tithing. And it's, we say, God, here's 100% of what we have, and the top 10% belongs to you. And so that's what we practice when the ushers come forward and we pass the plate. Uh, that's for those of you that are, are here. This is, you consider this your family. And so as we give, and, and so if you're a guest, feel free to always let that pass you by. But when you say I'm family, that's when you start to give. And you start to realize, hey, this is my family because that's what families do. We give and I, and, and I support and I'm following what God does. And, uh, and I want to say thank you to our family because you have blessed the name of God. God has, God's name is made famous because of what you have done. Can we honor him this morning as our ushers come forward? What a great God. You know, when you look in the Old Testament, they kept talking about how they made God's name famous. They made his name famous. That's what we get to do every Sunday. We get to make his name famous. When we give, we make his name famous. Because when we give, we're saying, God... I could do something else with this, but you're famous. Let's make him famous this morning, shall we? Father God, I pray you'll be with your people. Lord, teach us how to give. You have been working in many ways with many people. Lord, $130,000, it is the hand of God Almighty. You have provided our jobs. You've provided our work. You've provided our hands to do the work. And God, you have blessed our hands. You have blessed our work. And now, Lord, we come and we bless you. So God, as we give to you, and and this is when family gives, Lord. We've come together to be family. And we say, blessed be the name of the Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. Lord, blessed be your name in the Philippines and in Ecuador and in Haiti and in Czechoslovakia and in Ireland and all around the world. Lord, be with be with those missionaries all over the globe. God, here in our own community, help us to bring people unto your blessed name. Thank you for this powerful opportunity to impact the world because of who you are. Lord, bless your people as we respond to your great name in giving. In your name we pray. Amen. I feel like Rocky after that, huh?
Yeah. Hey, listen, I am super excited about our church, if you can't tell. I am thrilled what God is doing. To open up our first gathering of the year with a, with a baptism last night, there was energy in this place. It was like, wow, Daniel Doby, powerful story. Daniel Doby, his, his family was reached through our youth group many years ago. His dad had, uh, needed a heart transplant. And our youth group did a fundraiser for Daniel Doby's dad. And uh, Daniel, uh, so Judy, and uh, Judy is, is Daniel's mother. Daniel's dad passed away about four years ago, even after the heart transplant and everything. And they've lived through some really hard journeys. And, and Judy comes every Saturday night. And Daniel, about two years ago, called me up and said, Hey, Pastor Ken, I can't get the thought of death off my mind. My dad has died, and all I'm thinking about is eternity. Would you help me? And, of course, we, he came up, and we sat down, and we went through the plan of salvation, and he started a relationship with Jesus Christ. That was two years ago. He went off to the Marines, and he kept, every time he came in town for a little break, he'd say, I want to get baptized. But every time he came in town to get baptized, there was a tree over the baptistry or something like that, right? We just had Christmas decoration, Easter decoration, Memorial Day decoration. I don't know. We had everything up, right? Every time he stopped in. And so he came in last week, and he said, I'd like to get baptized before I go back to the service. I'll, I'll be here for one more week. I said, the tree's coming down. And we did. The tree came down, and he got baptized. And can we just thank God for that? What a powerful, powerful thing. He is a Christ follower. He walked out of here with a Bible. He took one of those Bibles out there. He walked out of here and he said, man, I am growing in Jesus Christ. Thank you. He says, I am growing in Christ. And this is like, uh, this, is, this is what I want to do with my life. And so what I want to ask you to do is be in prayer because God's moving like that all over our church. If you're ready to get baptized, stop by the, the, the Next Steps Welcome Center over there. Tell them, hey, I'd like to get baptized and we'll help you make the connection. We'll get that going. Um, you're, you're ready to, you know, this is the time of year when you're ready to make some change. January is a big season, isn't it? It's like uh, you go to the health club, the health club is full right now, you know, till February the 3rd or something like that, you know, it's like they, they know me as the January club, you know, I go in there in January, they're like, hey, Pastor Ken's back, you know, and he'll be here till February, and so, but, uh, you know, that, why is that? Because this is the time, this is the season that we kind of set a clean slate and there's a couple times a year that we do that. I think we do that when our kids go back to school. And I think we do it right now in January. And this is a time when you start to look at your life and you start to evaluate. That's why we have the Bibles in the foyer. Go, go to the table. Off, as soon as you go out the door to the left here, there's a table. There's, there's life application study Bibles there. I encourage you to take one of those. There's, there's study Bibles. Uh, and there's an envelope on there. You can make a donation to help pay for it. You can put that in next week, whatever. Just bring the envelope back, put it in the offering plate, throw it in the offering box, whatever. We want you to get growing in Christ. And we know that we have great services. We, we talk a lot about the things of God here in our services. But on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we want you to continue to grow. So I want to encourage you, go out there and get some of those things and, uh, and jump in and take this time seriously of, of resetting some goals and resetting some areas of your life. We're looking this morning here, and uh, as we look at rebuilding, you know, uh, a lot of people are thinking about how they can make a better version of themselves and I want, to, I want to do more than be a better version of me. I want God to do something powerful in my life. 
I really do. I, I, as I sit and I, I reflect, and, and I have been thinking about this for a couple months. This isn't something like, oh, okay, Christmas is done, put away the manger, now we go to goals. I've been looking at my life, and I've been reevaluating my life, and I'm saying, wow, what is it that needs to change in my life? What are some areas that have been broken? What are some areas that need healing? What are some areas that I need to rebuild? Some of us are dealing with rebuilding relationships. Relationships are big. You have to rebuild them. They get broken, and you have to rebuild them. If you don't rebuild them, you lose them. They're done. They're over. Uh, most coaches are, are continually rebuilding, like the uh, Steelers, right? There's going to be a major rebuilding happening. Uh, much needed, right? Some are rebuilding after some poor decisions that they made. It's really hard to rebuild after a poor decision. You did something and you said, wow, I've created my own pain. Uh, There's other things that, uh, how about after losing a loved one? You know, you lose a loved one, it's hard. there's, There's a legitimate rebuilding that has to happen. You don't have somebody in your life and then you lose them and, and, and just move on. You have to rebuild that life because they were an intricate part of your life. And so as, as, that, as that person is now missing, you are in a rebuilding phase of your life. Uh, some are rebuilding self-confidence. They're trying to gain a better future. And so the list goes on and on of things that we have to rebuild. And I, I think that most of this year, you're going to spend your time rebuilding something and, um, and, and there's, as we look at this study of Nehemiah, we're going to look into Nehemiah chapter 1 this morning. As we look into Nehemiah, we're going to see some principles about rebuilding. It's never too late to start a new beginning. Never. Oh, man, you know, I, you know, you think about it, you know, it's amazing how people talk about dieting on, the, on January. It's like, you know, I got to eat everything by midnight on the 31st. I've eaten everything by midnight of every 31st. Of every month all year long. Of every Sunday night before every Monday diet started, right? And listen, that, that's just the way we are. It's like, man, I got, you know, I got to order a pizza at midnight. Yeah, that's really smart, you know? There's things that we have to rebuild in our life. But as we come to this, we're going to look at some, at, at a nation that was rebuilt. We're going to look at a man named Nehemiah. He lived 2,500 years ago. 2,500 years ago, he wrote the book on rebuilding. You want to learn how to rebuild? You go read the book of Nehemiah. I want to encourage you. It's, uh, it's only about 12 chapters. You can read this pretty quickly here. Read a chapter a day, and you'll, you'll see the history. It's some powerful history. Who was Nehemiah? Nehemiah was just an ordinary guy. He was not a prophet. He was not a priest. He was not a minister. He was just a civil servant. He was an ordinary guy. And uh, a lot of people say it was like he had his retirement plan. He, he had worked it up. He was the cupbearer to the king. The cupbearer was the guy that tasted everything before the king ate it, you know? It's a, it'd be a great job. I wouldn't mind having a job like that, wouldn't you, you know? Hey, let me eat that Big Mac before Donald Trump eats that Big Mac, right, you know? It's just like you, you, you see that, that that's, that's how they worked. And so the cupbearer, if, if the, if the cupbearer survived, then the king would eat his food. And he would see that he was not poisoned. So if he, he, he was going to drink, he, had, he took a part of his drink. If he was going to eat, he took a bite of his food. And so that was what Nehemiah did. And so the, the, the story of Nehemiah is set in 2,500 years ago. Um, it, it unfolds after the reign of King Solomon. And after the reign of King Solomon, you had the nation was divided. You had the nation of Israel. You had this northern kingdom that we know. And as you're reading in the scripture, you read about the northern kingdom. Then you read about the southern kingdom. 
Now, in the northern kingdom, what happened up there, they had a series of bad kings. They had king after king after king. Not one of them were good. They were all bad kings. They kept making bad decisions, kept you know, throwing worship out the door. They weren't really caring. They had a form of worship, but they denied God, and they, 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 they ran after all kind of evilness. And that's what happened. And then finally in 722 B.C., the, uh, the Assyrians came, and they, they assaulted them, and they swept them into captivity, and they never returned. So the northern kingdom basically goes out of business in 722 B.C. Then the southern kingdom, that's where you hear the term Judah, you hear Jerusalem, uh, that's the southern kingdom. And 586 B.C., they hung on until 586 B.C., when it was finally devastated and destroyed by the Babylonians. Their holy city of Jerusalem was virtually leveled. It was decimated. It was destroyed. The temple was demolished. The wall of the city. So we're going to talk a lot about this wall. There was a wall around the city, and the wall was for protection. Uh, the, the wall, the, the, you could put the military on top to shoot out, to, to watch. There would be guards. And then there would be gates. And so the walls, were, the, the walls were taken down. The gates were burned. It was a hideous time. And, uh, and, and so what happens, there's about 70 years from 586 B.C. after the Babylonians came in. Uh, the, the leading Jews were taken away as captives into Babylon. That's whenever you read about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's whenever you see that here's Daniel, he's held captive. They're uh, dealing with King Nebuchadnezzar, and it was really a horrible time. The leading Jews were taken away. There's a psalm. One of the psalmists says this, that they hung their harps upon the willow trees in deep despair. So after several years, the Persians come along, and the Persians broke broke the Babylon supremacy. And they come along and they, they break this idea that Babylon is in charge. They overthrow Babylon. And, uh, and now, all of a sudden, with the Persians in charge, this is where you have, uh, where you have the cupbearer. Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king. He's doing, his, he's doing what he has to do. He's just living his life. But what happened was during the Persian reign, they allowed 50,000 Jews to go back to, to, to Israel. They allowed 50,000 to go back to Jerusalem. And the whole goal of this was they were going to rebuild their city. They were going to see that the city would be rebuilt. They would hopefully get their walls back. They would get the gates operating. <clears throat> they would get the temple worship going again. And so as they went through all of, this, all of this issue here, excuse me, as they went through all of the issue of, of this brokenness, out goes 50,000 people. Now 50,000 people have gone back to rebuild, and they're trying to rebuild their, their city. As they get out there, here's what happens, though. They don't make much progress. They have given up because the task at hand is so overwhelming. It is a big beginning. It's almost like we don't think we can do this, and that's what happened. 50,000 people go back. They get a little bit of the temple kind of back in order and try to get some worship going. But not only did they not restore the walls, the people have given up on God. They, uh, they are now they're not worshiping, and they are far from God. In steps Nehemiah now. And Nehemiah, he's a Jew still in exile. And he, he's got his cushy job as the cupbearer uh, bear, cup to the king. And uh, he's got, you know, it would be complete with retirement benefits, as we would say. But Jerusalem still burned in his heart. He had a burning passion for Jerusalem. It was his country. He still trusted that God was going to do what he said he would do. 
that God would fulfill his promises to the nation of Israel. So as he is working, as he's just doing his day to life, he is overwhelmed with what is going on. With Here he is, he's right next to the king. There's nobody closer to the king than the cupbearer. He's right here with the king all the time in Persia. But his people, 50,000 have gone home to rebuild, and it's not going well. We're going to look at some principles here in Nehemiah chapter 1 about how to start. You know, no beginning can, can happen without a start, and you have to start well. Uh, that, that's a concept in a race. You know, when, when the gun goes off, there's, there, you have to know how to start well. You don't just kind of lackadaisically start. You have to know how to start, how to get going. And so how did Nehemiah start this? He was the, he was the master of rebuilding. Let's look at what he did here. Nehemiah chapter 1, he says, These are the memoirs of Nehemiah. So you're looking into the journal. I want you to catch this. This is the journal, not of a prophet, not of a priest, of an ordinary man, and God has preserved it for us. These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah. In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Here was an ordinary guy that God chose to do extraordinary things. And folks, that is what you and I are. We are ordinary people, and God is wanting to do extraordinary things through you. He wants to do life transformation. He wants to transform communities through you. So I want to encourage you with this. This morning, you're looking into the the memoirs of Nehemiah. Verse 2, Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some of the other men who had just arrived from Judah. They were back to the southern kingdom Back to, his, uh, back to Jerusalem. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from the captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. And they said to me, now he gets the report, things are not going well for those who returned to the providence of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Nehemiah, he said the very first thing. Now, I want you to catch this because those three verses there tell us a deep insight into how to make change, how to start a new beginning in your life. Here it is. Make an honest evaluation. Come, and this is what he did. He made an honest evaluation. If you're filling in the notes on the back, that's the first one. Make an honest evaluation. It's never too late to start a new beginning, but it has to start with an honest evaluation. And if we don't have an honest evaluation, you don't know the work that you've got to do. You don't realize how bad things are. And this is what I have found, that many times we try to avoid that. When things are broken, it's easy for us to avoid it. Here's what happens. He comes and he he hears the word, verse 3, things are not going well. It's not a good day in Jerusalem. It's not a good period of time. They are in great trouble and disgrace. They are in despair. The wall has been torn down. There is no safety. Nehemiah, there's not even a gate. Nehemiah, the gates are still burned down. And so what he had to do, he had to come and he had to make an honest assessment. He made an honest evaluation and he said, this is what has to be done. Listen, the lifestyle of the people 
They were neglecting the temple. They neglected their God. They can't even get the wall up. They don't get a gate up. There's no protection. Anybody can come in and, and plunder them once again. It was time to face the facts. And he had to face the fact that the walls were broken. There was a need for safety and security. And he also had to understand that the gates were burned, that the enemy would have access to the city unless we put a gate back up. And we'll never get started right. Check this out. We'll never get started right unless you make an honest evaluation. This is a step that many people, including myself, have failed in starting a new beginning. Uh, many times I'll look and say, yeah, I'm going to do this. And I, I, I jump before I got to make an action, right? I just say, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do this. And, and all of a sudden, you know, I'm going to start that diet tomorrow morning. And boom, I start that diet and I come home and there's pizza still in the refrigerator, right? It's like you, you got to make an honest evaluation of what's really going on here. What am I really having to do here? And I think, why? Why do we not want to do an honest evaluation? We have this thing that's called pride. If I look in my life and I see that there are things that need to be rebuilt, I look at the walls, I look at things that are in ruin, you know what that means? It means a position of humility for me to say that I have failed in some areas. It's a position of humility for me to say that I need to work on this. And so what we do is we, we, we're afraid of that. We're, we, we live in a culture that says you can't have any pain. We, we live in a culture that says that if you're in pain, you must be a bad person. And, and there's nothing could be farther from the truth. If you're in pain, listen, pain is a, is, is a sign. It's telling you that there's trouble. When you have pain, don't ignore the pain. If you have pain, please go to the doctor because the doctor is going to tell you and give you an honest evaluation of the pain in your body. You don't say, well, I've been limping for six years. If only I would have went and got checked, I would have removed the tumor. Listen, that's why we have to have an honest evaluation. The same is true in your, in, your, in your spiritual life, in your emotional life, in your relationship life, in your business, everything about you. We have to make an honest evaluation. So, so pride is one of the number one things that get in the way. Um, I was looking at my life two months ago, and I said, before we get into the new year, and I wanted to study the book of Nehemiah as a church. And I started reading, and I'm like, you know what? There's some walls that are broken in my own life. And I looked at some of these walls that were broken, and I had to make an honest evaluation. And I tell you what, it was painful, because I didn't want to do it. But I realized that if God's word is true, if there's a principle here, I've got to take this principle and I've got to apply it to my life. So I looked at, there's several areas in my life that two months ago, I identified these areas and I said, I've got to begin to work on it. And as I begin to work on this, as I begin to just lay this area down, I want to see God give some victories here because it can't be about my own strength. A couple of these areas are things that I have failed in at for many, many years. And I'm like saying, you know what? I can see the power of God. I can watch his hand upon me as I cross into 2019. And, and I've already got two months ahead. And I've been working at some things for two months. But it started by an honest evaluation. I had to come and I had to take that big gulp and say, oh, that hurt. I had to have a few other people speak into me. And I said, what do you think about this about me? And they're like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that hurt even more. It's one thing for me to know it. It's another thing for you to know it. 
And it's, it's like, wow, when somebody else can speak in and you look and you, and, and so this is what happened with Nehemiah. Nehemiah was wanting to rebuild his city and he had to find out what is happening. So he makes an honest evaluation. And you know, there's, there's so many ways pe- people do this. Uh, O.S. Hawkins, a great pastor, he, he said this. He said that there are three ways that people typically deal with a brokenness, that they deal with a broken wall in their life. He said, first of all, they, there's the superficial optimist. A superficial optimist just comes and they, they approach, approach only the things that deal on the surface level. Uh, they're, they're, they're people that constantly try to put a positive spin on a negative situation. They pretend the problem doesn't, does not even exist. They resist making an honest evaluation of a situation. They wishfully think that if I just hunker down, man, everything's going to be good, and it will be made right. Everything will just go away. Jeremiah the prophet spoke about this. He said that there would be people who would say, peace, peace, when there is no peace. So some people, that's how they deal with, deal with the problems in their life. Yeah, it, everything's fine, and it's not. Uh, there's the busy optimist. The busy optimist, he does this. He tries to implement new strategies, new organizational charts, new personnel. In his office, he's changing all this stuff around all the time. He's just coming out with some positive thinking, and he's evaluating the situation. But there's one basic problem, that a ship doesn't float that has a hole in the bottom of it. And you have to deal with the problem. And then there's the honest optimist, the person who says, I want to make some change. I want to make a new beginning. And he has courage. And in that courage, he's got enough courage to look at his problem. And he says he's going to work at the problem. He's going to have strength. He's going to have patience. He's going to have diligence. And he sets the goal. And he says, man, this is really tough. This is really bad news. I got to deal with this. And that's what Nehemiah was doing. Nehemiah comes and he's dealing with some really bad news. Excuse me. Today, you may be thinking about your own life and you may be saying, what areas do I need to rebuild? What are some of the areas that I need to rebuild in my life? Uh, Maybe you need to rebuild some relationships, maybe some self-confidence. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's just your whole life. Uh, Today, the first step is to admit it. You have to own it. Maybe it's your spiritual life and you say, wow, I've been spiritually just going to church and nothing else. And maybe today's a day to to look at it. And I, I want to encourage you, make an honest evaluation. And, uh, and here's what happens, the busy optimist. Here's what happens to the, to the busy optimist. The busy optimist, instead of honestly evaluating the situation and coming up uh, with a way to deal with it, they, they, just get, they just get busy, they cover up the problems, and they move on to new people and to new places and to new projects. And the problem never got dealt with. Let's make an honest evaluation. What are some areas in our life that are unfinished? Um, look here today, Nehemiah 1.4. How did he respond? He says, when I heard this, I sat down and wept. I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, I fasted, and I prayed to the God of heaven. You know what you have to do? You have to identify with your need. You have to identify with your need. That's the second thing in your notes. Identify with a need. Here's what he did. He sat down. Go to verse 4 there. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. We live in a world that is so fast-paced 
And the busy optimist will not sit down and weep. The busy optimist is just going to go on to new places, stir up something else. I'll go on to something different and I'll be okay. In the meantime, there's a huge gaping hole inside of you that needs to be dealt with. There's something deeper and you got to come back and you got to deal with that relationship. You got to deal with that broken relationship, the broken finances. You'll never get out of debt by just saying, I hope it all goes away because it doesn't go away. It just multiplies. Uh, Listen, that's the way all problems are. They don't go away. They multiply unless we make an honest evaluation and we look at it. So what what relationship issues are you dealing with? What financial issues are you dealing with? What health crisis are you dealing with? First thing to do is sit down. The first thing is not to go take action because I have done that in my life for so many years. I have taken action on certain areas of my life without sitting down and grieving that we have to understand sometimes when we have a loss, it is painful. It hurts. And so if I've lost a relationship, it hurts. If I've lost a part of my health, it hurts. If I've lost my financial health, it hurts. If I've lost my mental health, it hurts. My, my, my social health, all these things, it hurts. It's painful. He sat down. He didn't rush into a reaction. And I'm asking God, Lord, help me not to be a reactor. Help me to sit down and grieve. You know, sometimes whenever you just sit down and grieve for a few moments, then you can do the next thing that he did. You cry. We're afraid of that, folks. We live in a culture that says, suck it up. I want to ask you, when's the last time you cried over something going on in your life? When's the last time that you, were, that you actually wept? Because once we sit down, once we cry, look at the next thing he did. Says that he mourned. The idea there, the word behind that word mourning is the same when somebody dies. There was like a part of him had died. He says, I mourned, I fasted, and I prayed to the God of heaven. Now, I don't know. If you're like me, when you read that, I mourned, fasted, and prayed, I said, Well, I'm pretty good at mourning, and I think I can pray, but do I really have to do the fasting part, right? It's like, I'll just go right to the prayer part because that's where all the power is, right? And, and check this out. Here's what happens. When we get to this point where we pray and we fast, the New Testament says that there are some things that we'll only get the answers through prayer and fasting. Fasting means I'm not eating. I'm in the presence of God instead of eating. I'm putting my mind on Him and not on food. And, um, and so I'll tell you, I, I haven't mastered fasting, the discipline of fasting. Um, but I'll tell you, there's been multiple times that I have fasted. And, uh, and you know, if I tell you I'm going to fast on next Tuesday or whatever, all I'm going to think about is chocolate chips and pizza all day long. That's what happens to me, right? But there's been multiple times. And one time in particular I can share with you. There was a time, there was an issue. It was just so heavy on my heart, so heavy on my soul. I, I stopped eating. And I went seven days that I didn't eat. And I'll tell you what, for a guy who eats seven times a day, you remember that you didn't eat seven days, okay? It's like, and you know what? It wasn't like I said, I'm not going to eat till next Monday. I'm going to get God's attention by not eating. 
No, no. My soul was grieved like Nehemiah because there was an issue at hand. There was brokenness. And I said, God, I can't do this. I need you. I need you. I need you. And I prayed and I mourned and I cried and I fasted. And then all of a sudden, and I'm telling you, it was at least seven days. It may have been longer. Seven was the days that I counted that I hadn't eaten. I think I looked back and said, oh, I haven't eaten for a while. Why? Because my heart was so drawn into what God was doing in my heart and soul. That's where Nehemiah was. He mourned, he prayed, and he fasted. And then he was ready to do what God had him to do. Now, the, this period was probably about four months. He took about four months and he grieved and he prayed and he fasted. And look how he continues here. Here's what happened. He identified with a problem. He had passion. See, if you have a problem and you don't add the passion to it, you don't add your personal connection to it, it just becomes another problem and it becomes a burden. So what we have to do is we have to take these life problems and we become personally connected to it. And then we come and we do what Nehemiah did. We come to the God of the universe and say, God, this is bigger than me. I can't do this. Here's an honest evaluation of my situation. It's horrible. But God... You are greater. And look at what Nehemiah prays. This is it. He's journaling for us. It's, we're looking into his journal. So imagine you're sitting here looking over the shoulder of Nehemiah as he writes it. Then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Listen to my prayer. He was referring to the, to the, to the way that God, God had in the Old Testament. He said, look, if, if you obey me, I'm going to bless. Today, we live under the age of grace. Jesus came. He paid for your sin once for all, forever. But in this moment here, God was using it. And the whole book of Nehemiah, listen, every book in the Bible points to Jesus. I can sit down with you and go through every book, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all the way through, including Nehemiah, and show you Jesus in every book. It all points to Jesus. So what we're seeing here, we're seeing, look, God had set up a system, the Ten Commandments, and he showed them how to live, and they couldn't live up to it. He kept showing them. He says, if you will, if you will obey, I'll bless. They obeyed. He blessed. They disobeyed. Disobeyed, and then he had to follow through with curse. And so look, our Lord, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his commandments, you keep your promises, God, of unfailing love for those who love him and obey his commands. Listen to my prayer. I've come to you. Now look what he says there. He says, look down and see me praying night and day for your people, Israel. Here's your servant. I'm talking to you, God. I'm praying on behalf of Israel. I confess that we... He includes himself, that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly, not by, uh, by not obeying your commandments, your decrees, your regulations that you, that you have given us through your servant Moses. Folks, as we come to look at these areas in our life, one of the most painful parts is because Many of it is decisions that we have made. Much of disobedience. God, you told me to love my neighbor and I didn't love my neighbor. You told me to love my wife and I didn't love my wife. You told me to love my kids and I didn't love my kids. You told me to do this and I didn't do it. 
Where God just said, don't do these things, and I did do them. And so what we do, half of, what we, half of the trouble we get into, we, we start up the mess. And so as we go into that mess, here's what it is. You've got to come before God, and it's called repentance. And we say, I have sinned, oh Lord God Almighty. I have sinned. You said this is the way to do it. God, I need your forgiveness. And that's what he was doing. He says, please remember what you told your servant Moses. You told Moses, if you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. That's what happened. They were, they were captive. They're all over the world. But if you return to me, verse 9, if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, even if you are in exile to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place that I have chosen for my name to be honored. He's saying, God, please follow through on your promise. Your people are coming back. Help us get this job done. The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are now your servants. Oh, Lord, verse 11, oh, Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today in making the king favorable to me. You know what happened to Nehemiah? He had a broken heart. God broke his heart over the brokenness. There were areas of his, uh, uh, this was a big area. Listen, the walls, the city, he was broken. And I want to encourage you, God wants to do something powerful in each one of you. God wants to use you like he did Nehemiah to do something in our town, in your family, and for some of you, maybe even globally. You know how I know that? Because God broke my heart at a young age. I was 14 years old. I went on a mission trip with this church. They took me down to Haiti. That's why today you still hear my passion for Haiti. We went down to Haiti, and I'm so passionate about that place. And when I was in Haiti, I sat there as a 14-year-old kid. I sat in Pastor Francois' church. Brian Gamender was there with me. I know you were in those days. We sat in Pastor Francois' church, and the doors were hanging. <laughs> you know, it was like there's no windows. It, it was a hideous sight. And, and we're sitting there with, uh, with benches, and, and, and it's just like... And I, I'm bawling my eyes out after church. I'm like, I've never been to church like that. None of it was in English. I don't have a clue what they said. But never had had an experience like that in my life. I sensed the power and the presence of an almighty God in the midst of poverty. And then I heard them talking that he needs help with rent for his church. The rent for his church was $100 a month. So I'll never forget. I came back and, uh, and I said, $100 a month. I made $33 a week on a paper route. I said, I know that we can raise that money. So I took a friend of mine, Brian Bortry. He and I, we went, we started having bake sales. We had a bake sale every Wednesday in school. We sold overpriced brownies. It was wonderful, okay? And, uh, and we raised from, we were at South Hills Christian School across the street there. We raised $100 a month and we gave it. I'll never forget, I was so excited. I came and I gave it to Pastor Ronald and said, look what we raised. We're helping pay the rent for his church. And I did that when I was 14 15, 16, 17 years old. Why? Because God broke my heart. I saw people that needed Jesus, and I said, I can do something about it. 17 years old, I graduated high school. I came to Pastor John and said, I don't think I can have bake sales in college unless I sell those other kind of brownies, you know? I said, so I think we won't do that. And I'll never forget, he said, well, I'm going to add him onto the birthday gift to Jesus list. 
I think we were raising 20,000 a year in those days. And I was like, wow. 17 years old, I can make a difference. And I got him onto the birthday gift, the Jesus list. You know, this church has supported him from the time I've been 14. We are still paying the rent on his church. Francois, thank God for that, okay? Thank God for that. God got the hold of a heart of a 14-year-old kid who couldn't do anything but paper route and sell brownies. And he stirred up something that would last. And Francois, Pastor Francois, died about this time last year. His son is still running the church. We send, in your birthday gift to Jesus, we send out that $1,000 or $2,000 to help pay for his church every day year. And here we are. Now, that birthday gift to Jesus, God blessed with 130,000 plus. Do you see what God does when he breaks your heart? But he can't do it until he breaks your heart, folks. Uh, This morning, I shared another story, and I'm going to wrap up on this because I can go on about a broken heart because my heart has been broken for our community. My heart is broken for our world. My heart is broken for you, our church. And see, God can't move until he takes it. He breaks your heart for something. And that's what he did with Nehemiah. He broke his heart for the city. The Antons come here. They have a business over here, Jefferson Hills Mowing. You ever need a good mower, go see them. Need a good snowblower. I don't think it's snowing this year, but if you need one, go see them. Um, they're, they're, They're great people. And Donna and Harry have started that business. Whatever happened in their life that they need to start that business back in the day. And I'll never forget them. They've been faithful for years. They started that business, but one of the things that they're passionate about is not lawnmowers. They're very good at lawnmowers. They'll sharpen your blade. You go up there to get a lawnmower, walk off an hour because they'll talk to you all day long. They're wonderful people, okay? I go in there, and she's got on the, on the counter little pamphlets, How to Trust Jesus as Your Savior. They want people to know about Jesus. And then they, they, they tell people about Jesus all the time. And they're passionate about people coming to Jesus. And let me tell you what happened here. They had a friend named Giant. They called him Giant because he was almost seven foot tall or something. He's just a, he was a magnanimous man. And Giant was, a, a, it was a, one of their customers. And, and they'd become friends with Giant. And Giant came into their, into their shop all the time. And they, they were good friends. And they were always plant seeds of the gospel, telling him about Jesus. And God broke their heart for Giant. And God has given the Antons a, a, a heart for the community. So... Giant came down with cancer. He's 65, and he had his own landscape business. He'd go out, he'd cut down any tree anywhere. And I'll never forget Giant. We talked to him multiple times through the years, and he was just a personality you could not forget. Tom would call me all throughout Christmas, and, you know, we were so busy here with the dessert theater and everything of this. We were just nuts, and we were trying to get over to see him. So Tom calls me last week. It was on Tuesday night. And he says, hey, can we go see Giant tomorrow? I want to make sure Giant knows about Jesus before he goes into eternity. I said, we'll see you in the morning. What time are we going? So we left here at 10 o'clock. Me, Pastor Al, Tom, his son, Ben, we went over. We went into this basement where this giant of a man lived. And there he is. He's got oxygen on. He can't speak. His voice was gone, but he couldn't. He was with us, and you could know he was 
squeeze hand response. He would try to respond. It was pretty powerful. We went through the plan of salvation with him. He prays, squeezing the hand. He trusted Jesus. And we're all bawling our eyes out. Why? Because God broke Tom, Anton, Harry, Donna. He broke their hearts for community, for people that needed Jesus, right? I'm getting ready to leave, and his wife comes to me and says, could you do one other thing for me? I said, sure. I'm thinking she wants me to do the funeral, right? And so me and Al are there, and and she comes, and she says, would you do my wedding? She said, we've been together for 32 years, but we never made this official. And there's a video on Facebook, and and she had a marriage certificate. She said, but his, it turned much faster. We went and got this a few weeks ago. We wanted to do this, and now all of a sudden, he's going to be leaving much sooner than we thought. And you know what I did? I looked at the marriage certificate, and we did their vows. He was laying in a hospital bed. You go on my Facebook page. You can watch the video. It, and I'm crying my way through the vows. He, he trusts Christ. This is marriage vows. Friday morning, I get a phone call. Giant went to be with Jesus. Folks, God's got to break our hearts about something. Maybe for some of you, he's breaking your heart about people in our community that need food. Maybe for others, he's breaking your your heart for people that need help in other areas. Maybe for you, he's breaking your heart for people that need Jesus. Maybe there's a 14-year-old kid in here this morning that's going to go out and it's going to do something powerful. Because this 14-year-old little kid had nothing that you would have said, I'll choose him. Nothing. God stuck me on a plane and sent me to Haiti. He said, sell brownies. (laughs) What's God talking to you about? What's he breaking your heart about? Let's close in prayer. With our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, I want to challenge you, church. God is breaking your heart about something. But you have to first have an honest evaluation. There's some things in my life I told you two months ago. I've looked in. And there's things on the inside that, that God's repairing on me. And it started with an honest evaluation. Then I sat down. And I cried. But thanks be to God we can pray. And we can fast. And we can watch God rebuild. So I'm asking you this morning, will you take a serious look at your life this week and ask God what breaks your heart? There's going to be something that God's going to do. It's going to be powerful. And we're going to see a community. We're going to see a a world changed because he broke your heart. Lord, be with each person in this room this morning. I ask that you'll challenge each one of us. Lord, for those that have not trusted you as their Savior, God, would this be their day? If you're here this morning and you have not trusted Jesus, would you call on him right now? Would you just respond to him? And I'm going to pray a prayer. I'm going to ask you to pray it after me to God. Just quietly, just call on him and just say something like this. Dear Jesus, I need you. I'm a sinner. I see the broken walls of my life. I see the ruins. But you died on the cross. You paid for my sin. And you came back to life again for me. And I invite you into my life right now.
Thank you, Jesus. Lord, be with each person. As we leave this place, may we go out and find the power and the grace of God Almighty to give us the strength to look at the areas that need help and to call on the one who can help, you. We thank you and we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.